Welcome to the Obsession Digression. A podcast that explores all of the cultural things that obsess us. I'm Sam Benarchik. And I'm Katie Walker. Sam, how in the world <laughs> is it going? How the heck are you? <laughs> how? So, I was about to say, I like, where in no the talk. world is, is Sam Benarchik? Carmen San- where is she? Did we ever find out where <laughs> Carmen Sandiego went to? Yeah, I can tell was... you personally, I did not because I, <laughs> we had a very bad geography curriculum in my school and I never wanted that game. It turns out she was dead the entire time. She was decomposing. <laughs> they got to like, yeah, like somewhere deep in Argentina and some elderly <laughs> woman's like, Carmen San Diego? And I'm worth it. She's been dead like for a years. Chump. Yeah, she's yeah. been dead for 30 years. <laughs> How would you say she's been dead in French? Oh, don't put me on the spot like that. Uh. You know, <laughs> I know, it's such a source of shame because the first time I went to Paris was in 2010. It was my first job out of college. And mm-hmm. I went for a week and a half or two weeks, and I didn't have to speak any English at all. I spoke French like at least fluently in terms of like conversational French. I didn't have any like in-depth discussions with anyone. Uh-huh. And the high point was when I was at the airport at Charles de Gaulle waiting to go home. I went to buy a drink and I was just speaking to the woman I was buying the drink from. And she stopped and looked at me and she said in French, she's like, you're not from here, are you? I was like, no. And she's like, are you Canadian? And I was like, no. <laughs> and she's like, you're not from the U.S.? She's like, your accent is too good. (laughs) And I felt so good about it. But I cannot speak any French these days. Yeah, no. I um I was hitting the the Duolingo for a while, but then Oh, that's right. I got I got distracted by so many other life things as usual. This always happens. Ugh. So but how are you, Sam? How's how's life treating you? It's good. So, I mean, we haven't really talked since our, like, aborted attempt to record this episode before Thanksgiving. Yeah, and so... we had too many technical difficulties and we're like, we'll talk after the holiday. <laughs> yeah, and then I got the plague um, mm-hmm. and I was horribly sick uh, with a cold. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't that, like, scary or anything, but, That's you fair. know, I was miserable for an entire week and a half or something. Aww. It was, it was rough. Um so now, yeah, a bunch of delays. Were you sick during Thanksgiving or did you at least have a nice Thanksgiving? I had a nice Thanksgiving, except that there was one incident that really, <laughs> it really just broke my, <laughs> my fucking heart. Listen. And that was, you know what this is. I know. I, I'm at our friend's um, mutual friend and other friends are there and we're, we're laughing, we're talking I uh, got a glass of wine in my hand and I look over and on the ground is a painting and it's a painting that I made for you, Sam, years ago. And it is just neglected in the corner and it is clear that you gave zero fucks about this beautiful Listen. piece of artwork, this creative expression of our lasting friendship that you left behind and yeah I, I don't even know what to say to you i don't know how we're gonna how we're gonna get past this <laughs> we're gonna how we're gonna mend this um yeah listen i'm horrified to hear that it's sitting on the floor that was news to me 
<laughs> it has been hung on a wall ever since you gave it to me. And that's like spanning across multiple moves. As you know, I move yeah. a lot. Um, yeah. And what happened was I don't have any other wall art. And so it never occurs to me when I'm packing to like check the walls for things. And so I packed up everything and I packed up everything from my last place in North Carolina, loaded in my car and drove away and never even occurred to me to like check the walls of the living room and like take down sure. that picture. Sure. And then I, <laughs> I got a text <laughs> from my then roommate saying you left a pot lid and a painting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so my painting ranks with pot lids. I mean, I don't remember Is the that... order in the text. And like, that's I mean, not, but... that has nothing to do with me. That has to do with <laughs> how his syntax, but. Sure. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it is not the value of the things, it's their location. One was like in the back of a cupboard and one was on the wall. And those are two places I don't think to look for my own possessions. And so then um, our mutual friend went over to take those and hold them for me. And I was like, oh, well, I'm going to tr take a trip down there like next month. I'll just grab them then. And then, as you know, my understanding of how far a dollar would get me in New York was <laughs> very wrong. Uh, yep. And I still have not been down here. So I still yep. haven't been able to go back to North Carolina to get it. Yeah. Okay. All right. It'll be a glorious reunion when I do get it. This is true. Yeah, I so But I'm sorry. I'm sorry for any for emotional pain that that site caused you. <laughs> um the only way to make up for it is to to truly shed tears when you are reunited <laughs> with the painting. Okay. I mean, I want to see I want to see some real real tears of joy when you mm -hmm. when you come across it again. Yeah, like finally and then it's going to just like that, that scene's going to like bl blend into the next scene of me back in New York. Like you'll just you'll see me lowering a hammer down from the wall and then like hanging that up. And then just randomly my roommates are all around me just like standing around admiring that paint by numbers. No, here's what's going to happen. That train. You're going to come down. You're going to meet with a ton of friends, have a few drinks. It's going to be really exciting. You're going to even it's say a, a ruckus evening. Don't let me forget the painting. And then very hungover <laughs> the next day. You're going to be in like fucking, I don't know, if you're driving, you're going to be in like West Virginia or something. And then you'll be like, oh, fuck, forgot the painting. <laughs> uh, dude, that happened this gonna... morning where I never do this, but I was walking to the subway and I decided to take this is I'm not going to go into the the logistics of why or how I did this. But I walked to a further subway for a couple good reasons. And I got all the way there and it's a much further walk. And then I realized mm -hmm. that I wasn't wearing my glasses. And I what? never forget my glasses. I never forget How them. How would you but forget that? You know what it is? It's because when I go to the gym in the morning, I don't wear my glasses. And so in the morning, like, oh, I don't expect to necessarily up. be wearing them. Exactly. You know yeah. how <laughs> you know how <laughs> it is at, at, at uh, Retro Fitness. <laughs> <laughs> you cannot be a dweeb at Retro Fitness. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you walk in and everyone's like, four eyes this, four eyes that. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, <laughs> but I was like, man, they like, all I have red hair. Walk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, I cannot walk all the way back to my apartment and get these glasses. So I'm just going to suffer through a day at the office. I'm nearsighted. Oh. So I was like, fuck it. I'll just like, I'll increase the screen, like the font size. I'll zoom in on everything and get through the day. And it was like a real struggle. 
Yeah, I'm sure. I we mean, also that's... use like Slack like every office does. And most of the time, you know, you use it to like touch base on like client work and client load and all of that. But you're also just sending like funny messages back and forth. And I was just mm-hmm. like haphazardly selecting these like foggy emojis where I was like, this could be a smiley <laughs> face. Like, like it's definitely not, not crying. Sure. So <laughs> You probably made some serious enemies that day. I know, even but I could have made like, like some the... real friends because I just sent like a really just like emotive, emphatic one. And I didn't mean to. <laughs> Or like an inappropriate one where like someone's like, haha, oh no. coffee machine's broken. The, the and you sexy like side like, grin. Yes, you send the like the winky heart face one. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. Oh man. That's Listen. that's awful. I know, but you know what? It's my like glasses a terrible are here. Day. They're actually not on because I have my headphones on and it's hard to do both. But mm. they're here. So we're reunited uh, much the same way as I will be very soon reunited with that wonderful painting you painted for me. Mm, I'm I'm highly skeptical, but you wow. know, I'll give it a chance. All right. But but so if you my... if you do not, if <laughs> I am I am pointing hardcore. No one can see me pointing right now. But if you do not get this painting, then friendship temporarily over. Until, okay. like, I think of something stupid to text you. <laughs> You're like, then Until... podcast hiatus. <laughs> yeah. Like, I couldn't do it. Like, no matter what, you could you could really, like, re- like actually try to end our friendship. But then the next day, I'd be like, Sam, I got my hair cut today. Like, I wouldn't be able to, <laughs> to end it. That means it a lot. Very genuinely. I, I would have to, like, tell you the, like, weird shit that happens in my life. Um, I, I couldn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Speaking well, you know, like, I shit. love hearing that because, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. I was trying to transition, but it's all good. <laughs> I was going to say, like, what I would say the one thing that keeps me from being more like open in friendships, um, or like just, I don't know. It's like leaning in is because I'm always afraid I'm going to do something that's going to like piss someone off enough that they don't want to keep talking to me. Oh, and, so and then I have these the reassurances like, that the yeah the like the dramatic it's a, it's an issue like, of trust is really what it comes down to. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I see that. Um. But anyways, that's that's too emotional. Let's talk about my haircut. Um, Save it for another <laughs> podcast. Yeah. Um, Wait, did you actually so, get a haircut? I did, and this is a big <laughs> deal. So. Our Ooh. our listeners should know this about me. I hate going to service professionals to get anything done, uh, even though it is, it is necessary <laughs> for for is upkeep. a hairstylist a service professional. Anything that's necessary for upkeep, right? So okay, and like you know, like uh, eyebrows. I have to get my eyebrows waxed, and um, I have to get my hair cut, and occasionally I will get a pedicure, and that's about it. Like I. I don't go like full mm-hmm. shebang. Um, but anyways, I, I hate these processes because I am at the mercy of another human being, right? Um, and so I've been in Chapel Hill for seven years and I have not once gone back to the same hairstylist because... <laughs> there cannot I, be that many. There's, there are that many, I promise you. Um, but because I always feel so awkward, it like sitting in the chair and like having that little 
like claustrophobic drape thing over you and i always freak out i'm like hands in or out like do i keep my hands under the drape oh, in, or do in. i have them out but if Wait, they're where out, would they be if they were out they would be in your lap but you would have them at like sometimes i do like where i just put one hand so out. the backs of her hand are just collecting like hair ends <laughs> see but that's why i don't know like i like you're no, you have to sit in. still Hands in, but like, but yeah, yeah. When I talk, I'm also very expressive, and I have to use my hands to talk. So if I keep hands in, <laughs> I'm still gonna move my hands, and it looks like, I don't know, it kind of almost looks like one of those like, um, uh, what are they called? The like floppy guys that they put outside of car dealerships that like do the dancing <laughs> thing, you know, yeah. the like bl- the air it guys. Just... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So it just looks look like, like. A, a, a real current is uh, <laughs> just yes. circulating under your, what are they called, <laughs> vests? Bids? Yeah, yeah, I guess a drape. I don't, I don't know, know what it's robe. called. It's something uh, weird. Language. And also think about this. They never wash those. I don't know if they do or not, but they probably don't because they're like a plasticky mm, type of material. Yeah. And like there's like thousands Which of people that sit with cool this. On that? Drape, yeah, yeah it's. I guess so. Anyways, so but I did have to go because I, you know, I needed I needed a haircut very desperately, and so before I went, I went to an entirely new salon, and an entirely new hairstylist, right? And Sam, I literally on a post-it note wrote out like witticisms to deliver during my haircut to <laughs> what undo or to like prevent awkwardness or to like i was like (laughs) so (laughs) i i like prepped for a haircut as if it were uh, like an interview or something like that that's how i went about it routine yes wait so what's an example of something you wrote on this this post-it note okay so i think the bestseller uh given audience reaction was i so i'm wearing my hair curly now but pre-haircut oh um, oh, side note, another stupid thing about haircuts is that I feel the need to fix my hair before I go to a haircut because I don't want them to think I don't know how to do my own hair. So it's like a whole thing. Mm. Anyways, but, um, but pre-haircut, I had a very like triangular shape going on where like my head just like, it looked like a, I don't know like a slice of pizza basically and my witticism was i desperately need this haircut because it looks like i'm wearing a pharaoh's headdress right now no no (laughs) not even a like okay well okay the the hairstylist thought that was hilarious or the hairstylist is the consummate performer who wants Mm -hmm. a better tip right so (laughs) <laughs> I thought who's, I thought who's it was playing to whom. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was pretty good. Um, okay, so that I, was like I yesterday. Also... Just a really quick side note: I went into the yeah. Amazon bookstore because I walked past it. I was like, I want to see what this place is all about. It's Wait, really like strange. The physical one? Of... Yeah. Oh. Uh, we could have a whole episode devoted to how strange it is, but that's fine. Um, I was. I went up to Alexa and I was just like pressing the buttons on top. And this this woman who worked at the store comes up next to me really conspiratorially. She's like, hey, 
ask Alexa if she's heard of Siri. And then she's like, <laughs> and then like backs away. And I was like, all right. What? And I was like, oh. and then I was like, Alexa, have you heard of Siri? And then it was just like this sort of silly canned answer where it's like, Alexa just goes, only by reputation. And I was like, oh. And I turned around. This woman was like doubled over laughing. Real? <laughs> I was like, I'm really. I was like, I'm real torn here because, like, I want to laugh because of my basic sense of, like, empathy, but I also don't want to laugh because of my sense of, like, dignity. Like, that's not a funny joke. Right. And so I did this sort of, like, fake laugh and, like, backed away. Yeah, she was, like, an employee there. Oh, so how many fucking times has she done that? I know. Per day. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. You can't encourage that. It was real dark. The longer you think about it, it's, I know. That's a. It that's was, a. The more I thought about it, the more, yeah, it made me sad. That's like a door. That is like you start that like type of relationship with that lady. You can never go back. You know, like you could never <laughs> yeah, enter that store again. Yeah. Yeah. It would be ruined. It would be so ruined. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, anyways. But I'm so sorry. You're getting your haircut. You're throwing out these gems. Yeah. No, they were gems, Sam. You don't even. You you were totally underestimating the atmosphere, um, and <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyways, um, oh no, like that that was it. <laughs> like I don't have an. <laughs> My whole story was about the Pharaoh joke that you didn't find funny. This is just like this is fucking just like. My dentist, same situation, prepared a joke for my dentist ahead of time. Oh, my God. He didn't laugh. Up, yeah. It tanked. I don't understand. <laughs> I, I think I need to take, like, improv classes. This is what he said. I need to get better at my shit because, like, that story just, I mean, that tanked. You're going to edit this later and be like, what the fuck, Katie? We got to edit out, like... <laughs> fucking t- 15 minutes of your Just like seven like, minutes of dead air <laughs> <laughs> also there JK, is a fucking, JK. Uh, so i'm i'm recording right now in a new setting i'm in ryan's office but i'm in a like back room because the dogs are here and they're barking mm-hmm. and you know like i don't need that like outside disturbance but i just looked over and there is a giant sheep's head Sticking out of the wall, Ugh. just staring me down. Yeah. Like taxidermy? Like, yeah. Yeah, it really... I don't know what the alternative majestic. was, but... Oh, that's yeah. nice. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it, it's not oh. like foam. It's, uh... <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yeah, it's majestic. It's well, it's good. really creepy. And it's, like, really Okay, dark before we get too far away... <laughs> I just remembered, speaking of service... Wait, what did you say? Not service workers. Oh. That sounds different. But service professionals. Speaking people of who service touch professionals. You. Speaking of people, people who, who t- touch well, your that's... bottle. Body, not bottle. <laughs> people <laughs> who touch your bottle. People who touch your bottle. Service <laughs> professionals. Speaking of service <laughs> professionals, this one didn't touch my body, but she touched my clothes. Um, so I do like a drop-off laundry service. And after Thanksgiving, I was like, oh, well, let me, like, I got, I took the train back into New York, took the subway to my apartment. First thing I did was, like, get all my laundry together, go drop it off so I could have it done before the work week. I go Mm -hmm. to drop it off. 
I do what I always do. <laughs> I just hand the bag over. She weighs it. She tells me how much. And then I go, oh, and can you dry on low? And she's like, yeah, I'll write that on the receipt. And then she looks at me and goes, did you like your clothes last week? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, because I didn't dry on low that time. And oh, then she just, no. No, she just looked me square in the eyes and then had this like the cockiest smile. <laughs> Because I had asked for her to dry on low last week, too. And I was like, (gasps) uh, oh. And I know I was totally just like, I had no idea how to react to that. Because I didn't understand why I was even being challenged. Yeah. But the thing is, it's a service they offer. Yeah. But I I didn't understand what I did wrong in that situation to have, like, pissed her off so much so that she felt the need to, like, school me. Because it's a sort of like it's a checkbox you? on your form. Like, do you want yeah. to dry it on low? And I was like, Yeah, like the the tag says dry low, so sure. This is just like and I was I oh had man. no idea how to react. So this has been happening to me for countless years because I've been married for a long time. Um, but I only found out recently that Ryan has been doing this thing where he puts cheap food in expensive food boxes, you know, like the thing that your parents used to do. I thought I had graduated (laughs) from that when I was like 25. Apparently, this has been going on with Rice Krispie cereal for the last, like, forever. So that, like, he's been holding back. Well, you've had one, like, Rice Krispies cardboard box for the last 12 years, and he's just been pouring pretty other much. cereals into it? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Oh, my and, God. That's amazing. Like, I don't notice because I assume that I've already opened it. Like, I assume that I'm just, like, sleepwalking <laughs> as I eat it's, cereal. Like, expired, like, back in 2002. <laughs> I, did, I did notice, like, I the one thing that, like, kind of... Like just kind, it was just slightly uncanny, but I didn't like. I still was too dumb to figure out. Like each time, I was like, "Oh, I didn't win the Monopoly game because there was like this contest." <laughs> like each time, I was like, "Oh man, I didn't get it." And yeah, this has been going on for years and years, and so I feel you. <laughs> like the amazing. cleaning lady pulled a like the same type Walker. of epistemic move. A real yeah, Ryan Walker. I know. Oh, yeah. It's just like, it's not even like a big deal. I just like, I didn't even think to question my trust in you. It just seemed like a service. Like, if I had been like, oh, can I get into a sandwich place and said, can I have a chicken sandwich? And then left, I'd be like, I thought, I think we're just transacting exactly what you want me to transact. Like, if the person right. was like, did you like it last week? Because that was turkey, fucker. Right. You know? <laughs> I'd be like, oh, okay. I, sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Hmm. It was really strange. Trixie. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. I, I, I really like don't Sam... like this laundromat at all for many reasons, but it's the only one that's open on Sundays, and for whatever reason, like I cannot get figure out how to like logistically switch my laundry day. Yeah. So. No. That's that's a whole thing. So real Sam, here's, problems. Here's what I'm discovering. I think that people are out to get us. I think you and I in particular. <laughs> I think that I think that we have like a certain type of enemy, and it's um, people who touch our bottles, um, or our clothes, or <laughs> or Ryan, <laughs> or Ryan, <laughs> or Ryan. I think that's that's pretty much it. Yeah. So we just gotta watch I don't out know. for. Maybe them. it's helping us to roll with things because okay, here's a question. <laughs> so this week I went to the gym. I go first thing in the morning. I get up really early so I can do it before work. 
and it's really cold mm-hmm. out, so I'll put on like like running tights under my shorts and then wear like okay. a coat, blah blah blah, go. <laughs> I got to the gym last week and I take off I have this long like Nike parka kind of thing that goes down to like my knees and I take it off and I realize I just have the tights on and I forgot to put on shorts oh no what is and up I was with like, you forgetting shit I don't know <laughs> it's bad um, but then no but then I thought like well this is really frustrating because now I have to go home and then I was like I don't have time to walk all the way home put on shorts and walk all the way back and so I just I went to the uh, the mirror in the corner and I did a couple stretches to just gauge transparency <laughs> and to, then I deemed to it gauge fine the, let's let's you know, spell it just, out to gauge the like outline or ex- that's yeah, exactly right the bulge the, the penis bulge <laughs> yeah well I mean the back I just too. wanted to say penis bulge Okay. Penis <laughs> Please don't let me stop. I need you. to stop saying it. I need to stop saying. <laughs> okay, penis I, I can't stop now. <laughs> yeah. But I just so your penis with bulge, it, and I was like, "This is by and large, far and away, like the most form-fitting thing I've ever worn in public." <laughs> but I just went through my workout anyway, and I felt good walking out. Good for you. Being like you know yeah. what, just rolled with it, and I didn't care. Yes. And I wasn't self-conscious. That's beautiful. That's that warms my heart. That gives me hope. And so maybe for... all of these all of these people are just helping us to just get better at just rolling with things. Yeah. Yeah, I need to chill out. That's that's certainly true. Like I definitely Oof. need to to take it down a notch with things. Yeah, same. <laughs> with everything. <laughs> oh, can I tell you though what I'm not ready to roll with though that I just realized are kids. Oh, like so I'm about to be or... an uncle times two. <laughs> like, no, not making babies, literally, but like <laughs> being around young children. I'm going to be an okay. uncle. Both my sisters are having children soon, um, which is exciting. But then. But I so went, weird went at the same Thanksgiving. time. Oh, yeah, because they're the first even of my friends to have like one friend just had a baby, but he was the first mm-hmm. of my friends to have kids. Right. Jesus. I went home for Thanksgiving and the day after my sister has this like open house thing where a bunch of her friends come and family comes. It's a nice time. But her friends brought their kids and spending like seven or six hours with like young kids. I was like, I don't don't think I'm ever going to be ready for this. And also too, like nothing makes you realize that sugar is a drug like watching kids (laughs) consume sugar. They are like, these kids were like, legit addicts like when mm-hmm. a plate of cookies came out like they lost their minds like they couldn't <laughs> hear people's words they couldn't listen like they were just so focused on getting more cookies and then as soon as mm-hmm. they had one in their mouth they were just like desperately reaching for more it was insane <laughs> so what's and they like just the have age to range like we're talking throw here. open every door like open and close and they have to like scream at each other i don't know they're like are we talking I like actually, three Three to five year olds, children ages. They just look like (laughs) maybe five and three or four or seven, maybe two, something. Okay, so that's a lot of numbers. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. A lot of different ages. You know what? It's because as soon as my brain registers, this is like a, a a very young person. I just throw it into the pile of like child in my mind like categorically <laughs> i don't investigate beyond that Hmm. well i think so you know we've talked about kids a lot on this podcast and 
I'm at the stage where it's really fun to imagine potential punishments for future children. Um, not like, <laughs> not like you know, like beating them or anything horrible like that. But just like um, one idea that I think I think we had seen it online or something. I, this is not original to me, but I thought it was hilarious. Okay. Was um, to wrap a bunch of em- empty Christmas gifts and put them under the tree. And any time, like, your child is bad, just, like, take one of the empty boxes and just, like, <laughs> chunk it in the fire. <laughs> that is insane. Yes. And, <laughs> like, just stuff like that. I really enjoy contemplating. Just, like, <laughs> I think it's just going to be, that like. Is, that makes me uncomfortable, but it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Why does it make you uncomfortable? Because it's so mean. <laughs> Yeah, like that kid's gonna be freaked out <laughs> if you do that. It's and also, be just a circulating constant... the internet, that means people are doing it to their kids. Yeah. Right now, as we speak. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's the, it's the holiday season. It's post Thanksgiving. Those it's presents the time. are under the tree. I definitely oh, think speaking. I'm gonna be. I'm definitely gonna be like the Lucille Bluth type of mother where I just like pit my children against each other and against their father but then occasionally I like collude with the father against the children like I just want Mm -hmm. it to be a constant strategic move or just like a battlefield in my family that's that's all I want I want there to be a lot of like hidden you know like motivations going on you know, I tried to show that uh, show to my sister when I was in New Jersey, <laughs> and she oh, laughed the whole time. Yeah, we watched like two episodes, and she laughed like the whole time. But then she just seemed like so relieved when it was over too. Like, <laughs> I think it just made her like anxious as she was watching it, even as she was like, <laughs> "Yes, this is funny, but like this family's insane." <laughs> yeah, no, that's so true. Like that. What's hard about shows like that is you need. But lack, unfortunately, like some sort of moral compass. Like you need like one figure that's good, and mm-hmm. even in that show, like Michael is not well, Jason great Bateman either. Is. No, well, no, yeah, no, because he's like he's, he's like blind to his own hypocrisy about like ways in which he doesn't like properly care for his son yeah. and things like that. Or yeah. Oh, I think he's human. like. Eh, I think he's one of the worst. I think he's like oh, pretty terrible. Yeah. Um. So, and I feel the same way about, like, It's Always Sunny, where I love that show, but it also, like, really raises a lot of, like, moral issues for me, because there is no, there is nothing good in that world. But that's also, like, you know? the conceit of the show, right? Is, like, it's, can you, like, the question they're always asking is, can you, like, make a sustainable comedy around, in which the heroes are completely irredeemable people? Yeah, And the answer is yeah. yes. I think it's the longest running now live action sitcom. I think so, but it's still, I can't, like, it's, I love it so much, but it's so painful mm-hmm. sometimes. Also, so. it's upsetting sometimes when they really delve into, like, how they live in, like, a material yes. way. Like, that's oh, stuff, it's disgusting. Yeah, exactly. It's, like, too upsetting to think about sometimes. <laughs> like the toe knife episode? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, but yep. speaking of the holidays, um, mm-hmm. we were talking about this earlier this week, that... At least a handful of podcasts I listen to have either made a jokingly like made a favorite things list or have in earnest made a favorite things list. And mm. we're a podcast and it's the holidays and I think we should do the same thing. So is this like like just for clarification, 
Is this like Oprah esque? I think that's things? the that's the origin story of the favorite things list. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So it's like these really cool things that we are just super into. Yeah. Right. I mean, my sense though is that our list is going to be much jankier because <laughs> we're <laughs> both poor, but. And yeah, we, that's like, very true. We there's no cashmere on this list, so no, nothing, no, probably nothing that true. you know, like really like breaking edge electronic. For instance, I might say Speaks for yourself. I might say um, my favorite thing um, uh, is a special sandwich that I custom make at my bodega around the corner. So you know, go to the bodega uh-huh. around my corner, tell them I sent you. They're going to make you a sandwich called the Fire Fire, but they're going to hold the mayo and the mustard. They're going to throw some provolone on there. They're going to toast it up. It's delicious. Okay. That does sound very yummy. And I am so hungry right now. (laughs) (laughs) You bastard. (laughs) I read that in a parenting guide about how to torture your uh, (laughs) co-host. Oh, yes, exactly. To just talk endlessly Mm -hmm. about delicious foods when they're starving. Um. And also, like, have them make you a beautiful painting and then leave it behind. In... Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, so, okay, that's a good start. Mm-hmm. My let me, let me counter with specialized Lego mini figurines or, like, Lego figures. But there is a Lego Shakespeare, a Lego Farmer, a Lego Shark Man, a Lego Female Astronaut, like these very oh, like you can cool. only you have to like kind of buy them. I think like some of them come in sets, but you typically just buy that figure. Okay. And it's a racket because it's like ten bucks for Lego Shakespeare. Yeah. But you bet your ass I have a Lego Shakespeare and it's it's glorious. And maybe I spent like fifteen minutes looking at other Legos today. <laughs> <laughs> I so, would not care to say. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Who knows what happens? Maybe I was writing out another like haircutting script. Who knows? <laughs> I you're doing some some research for your material. <laughs> uh, anyway, I could say a lot about my local favorite things. For instance, I could say uh, you walk to the fancy Whole Foods down the street from my apartment, and then keep walking and turn left on the small side street, and you'll come across this place called Food Town, <laughs> a really tiny supermarket. Food Town has the same toilet paper as Whole Foods, but three dollars cheaper. Uh oh, we're going to Food Town. They would Uh-oh. love that song. Also, they wear green T-shirts, and Food Town is spelled out in the Star Wars font logo. And I'm <laughs> positive they've not paid for the rights to do that. <laughs> Yes, you're you're you probably just were a whistleblower, dude. Oh no, you probably just ruined everything. No. <laughs> yeah, I get my toilet paper now. Shut your dirty mouth, <laughs> Sam. Let them break the rules if they want That's to. That's right. I celebrate them in all of their. I love copyright infringement. I love <laughs> no, it. Everyone should do it. <laughs> That's my favorite thing. <laughs> copyright infringement. So good. Okay. And you no. get off the phone with a prospective like uh, university position, and you're like, uh huh, mm-hmm. uh huh. So it sounds like someone's copied my dissertation and submitted it for themselves. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> um. Okay, so it's my turn. Like another. Uh-huh. Can I describe? So can my one of my favorite things just be something that I do? Like can I be a, a yeah. like a particular a, like activity? So here's Why what not? happened to me. Our rules. 
Um, yeah. So this was a very, very special thing that happened, which was I was sick, right, last week. So I wasn't mm-hmm. able to do the serious intellectual work that you can imagine me doing every single day for 12 hours a day. (laughs) That is the normal picture. Let me reassure anyone who thinks otherwise. I'm obviously lying. So, but I was sick and I wanted to play Diablo, which is this video game where you just kill a bunch of monsters. But, um, so I got out of the shower and I laid in my bed and I had my laptop and so I just started playing the movie Conan the Barbarian and playing Diablo at the same time. And I felt so powerful. I felt amazing. (laughs) And that's all I have to say about that. Well done. Try to follow that one up. I know. You really put me on the spot. (laughs) Um... So I'll say one, this isn't really like a favorite thing so much as a, a thing, I a, a favorite desire. And that's that I really want like, um, like, you know, like a, a, a new Wilfred Brimley commercial. What? What are you, what in the you know world what I mean? are you talking about? This is, this is like maybe not so much a favorite thing as a Christmas wish list. It's like, you remember how much joy, okay, so I just think about, I was thinking about this earlier this week, how much joy me and my sisters got over the summer when all we did was sit on the couch and watch TV and we'd always mm-hmm. watch that Wilford Brimley commercial. You know what I'm talking about, right? I don't know it. No. I'm Wilford Brimley and I have diabetes. What? <laughs> and we would just, Katie. Oh this my gosh, you're missing out. Jersey this is thing. a touchstone. <laughs> Wilfred Brimley, I, I, famous I, actor, comes on TV, tells everyone he has diabetes, and then it's about like medication or something. And it just okay. was like a, such a touchstone of my childhood, and all of my friends knew it as a common language we had. And I'd really like for ah. him to, you know, like do a new commercial. Yeah, like what's like sure you to? have diabetes, but like yeah, what have you caught recently? <laughs> So. Right. Yeah. Like what what new what what new things are going on? <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um okay, so favorite <clears throat> excuse me. Favorite food item. Sam, you know this about me, but I have not talked about this on air. I have two. I have two that I've inherited. One of them mm-hmm. is um a delicious snack where you take a bunch of Fritos you put them in a cup, and then you pour milk over them, and you eat it like cereal, and it's so mm. good. And I call it Fritos in Milk because, <laughs> obviously, I'm really creative with my names. Um, the other one is you take a tortilla, you put cream cheese, you put sausage, and you put shredded cheese, and then you put it in the oven. And it comes out, and it's like this uh, quesadilla, but instead of calling it, like, a breakfast or a sausage quesadilla, I just call it sausage tortilla. And it is amazing, but it is so fattening (laughs) for you. Because it is, like, literally all of the bad things in this this little tortilla. It's so good. I know. It's sort of unbelievable how much badness can fit into one stick of cream cheese. (laughs) Or a block of cream cheese. But you've... You had my sausage tortillas one time, right? I made no, them I've for you. No, I've never had the. No, I've never had the pleasure oh. of this. I okay, was not there well, the day you made these. Okay, I'll I'll make them for you when you come visit me in my trailer in the woods. <laughs> okay. Um. Um. Okay. This has hot, to happen. Hot seat. I think I have. 
What's yeah, I know. I think I have maybe one more. Um, and that's that my favorite thing right now are uh Jello horror movies. So they're this like genre of Italian sort of like serial killer thriller movies that come out in like the sixties and seventies and they're sort of are still sort of around but they've waned really dramatically since. And so mm-hmm. I've been watching like the original ones and sort of precursors and they're so fun and so weird and so interesting and visually like creative i love them even if they're not super coherent as movies and one of the most interesting like trends across the movies so far is that the murders are always ultimately something that brings together a man and woman who clearly do not want to commit to one another (laughs) so like the murder does not help them work through their fear of commitment like so it's not like uh, in a hitchcockian movie where by the end they generally want to be together it's mm-hmm. like they both seem sort of disappointed that one of them wasn't killed. <laughs> and they just end up together. Like the murder is this perpetual excuse to not have to be around the other person. And it's fascinating. Oh, that sounds horrible. <laughs> so good. Like, is it that they're it's both so complicit in the murder? And so they have to stick together? Or is it more like, oh, no, no, like they murdered. are the victims. Yeah, right. Like they're trying to like solve the case or stay alive. Oh. But they're, oh, yeah, that's that's pretty disappointing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Huh. What about you? Oh, I have one more? Okay. Yeah. Um, So I've been hardcore. I don't know why I said that like that. Can we can we not say that? Um, <laughs> penis yeah, yeah, bulge. Can. I've been hardcore penis bulging. Um, no, I've been, I've been super into Margaret Atwood lately, and it does feel like she's really hot right now with Handmaid's Tale mm-hmm. and Alias Grace. She's having a real moment. That. She's, yeah, she's doing it. Um, but, and so, like, yeah, I'm, I'm bandwagging it, and I'm okay with that, uh, because I definitely have read uh, three Atwood novels over the past month, and I've been loving it. Like, she is just, she is on fire. Her writing is incredible, and it's just every story is new and she's i don't know like i just ah like atwood is getting to me right now in a beautiful oh, that's way awesome. um oh, good. so yeah i did read alias grace and i read uh robert the the robber bride and yeah it's just been it's been great oh that's awesome well mm-hmm. so that's our those are our favorite things to close out 2017 uh, we we need a jingle for it though i feel like we need a like our favorite things no you i was things. hoping you would you would jump jump in okay let's try harmonize? it again yeah our, right. our favorite <laughs> this is just like at church where no one knows how to read um i know read, like musical <laughs> notations and so it's like oh yeah. That's why the organ just, just like, drowns out everyone. The organist is like, guys, yeah. I'm doing you all a favor. <laughs> like, thank you. Yeah, later. like no, none of you know what to do at this point. This is this is sad. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's our, I, I think we did a good job with our with our our favorite you know things what? jingle. For first step, neither of us are trained or virtually yeah. sing even. So um, yeah, I'm fine with it. I'm I'm good with it. But I do think we should we should do this Maybe. again. Maybe or we should do resolutions. Oh, since it'll be January. I'm awful at those. I I quit things. I never like, make them. Like snap. Yeah. But that's fine. I yeah. I mean we, yeah. We, we'll we'll do resolutions. 
I mean, we don't have to. We can play be, it by ear. It'll be it'll be good fodder, and then I will, you know, I'll go to my new hairstylist and be like, "What were your resolutions? Mine were to like <laughs> go to the same stylist at least twice." And then she like cracks up. She laughs super hard, and you're like, "That, yes. that wasn't my joke yet." Yeah. Like, I'm no, wait. The joke was. It's gonna it's, be self-deprecating. It's like you just it, want, but... You're just buttering me up for a tip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You don't find me funny, you bitch. Maybe I'll just do like a. <laughs> and then you storm bulge. out with only exactly half of your head cut, and the other <laughs> half is still uncut. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I would. I am not brave enough to ever do that. Ever, ever. Mm-hmm. Once I am in no. that drape, I am. I am sucked into the vortex of. No, trappery. it's a real power move. I've definitely. I've gotten into that seat, and then like five minutes in, been like, oh, this is not the haircut I asked for. Like, this is not mm-hmm. good. And I still just yeah. sit there and wait for them to to complete the haircut, though, because I think, like, it's still going to be better than if I left right now. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, because of the, the awkwardness. This is so true. Ugh. I can't wait until I'm rich enough to, like, have people come over to my house to cut my hair. Or if I have, like, that one friend who can cut my hair. I've never had that friend. All girls have a friend oh, who does yeah. hair. I've never had that friend. Like, I don't know why that particular type of friend has eluded me my entire life. It's it's a real... Mm. Let's talk about Freddy Krueger, though, because Let's that talk about Freddy. We get to revisit. It's the topic of our, our day. Yeah. Yeah. So last week or last episode, we talked about Nightmare on Elm Street, the first in the franchise. Now we're jumping all the way. No, we didn't. We did People Under the Stairs. If two episodes yeah. we <laughs> talked like, about... what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street... Now we're jumping all the way to the end of the franchise. And so to get us there, I'm going to give a very, very sort of like quick and dirty history of the franchise. So Okay. So, but like just to order- clarify, today we're talking about um, Wes Craven's New Nightmare, which came out in 1994. And you're covering oh, yeah. all of the Freddy movies that happened after the first one before this last one that we're talking about today. Yeah, well, sort of. I'm going to talk about Wes Craven's relationship to New Line Cinema during that interim. So it's important to remember that it took Wes Craven three years to sell the script for Nightmare on Elm Street, right? Remember, he took it to, like, Disney and MGM, right? Um, So it was a while before he got it. um, He got New Line interested. um, And at that point, he was just ready to get the film sold. And so he gave up the rights to the character of Freddy Krueger as part of the agreement for making the film under New Line. Um, So what this means is that he had no creative control and no profits, no like franchise profits on any like merchandise or additional films that were made that included Freddy Krueger. That's so so sad because that's, mm -hmm. you know, a gold mine. Exactly. And so things started to go sour actually right at the end of filming uh, the first film, wherein the New Line nixed his original ending in which everything was going to just have been a dream. So you remember how it ends, and it's at first you think everything was a dream, and then like the Freddy convertible pulls up, and the mom gets like pulled through the, the window in the door, right? Um, this mm-hmm. is, of course, so New Line could open things up for a sequel. A sequel in which they wouldn't have to pay Wes Craven for any sort of royalties for using Freddy. So... The sequel is written by another writer. Um, Wes Craven asks to give his to give feedback, so he gives all kinds of notes on this screenplay for the second film. They ignore every single one of his notes. No. Then, well, the second film they decide, is fucking terrible. 
<laughs> it yeah, really is. it's not good. But then, to make amends, they originally attach him to the third film, wherein he can sort of write and direct that. Then they rewrite seventy percent of the script, um, and this was Dream Warriors. So you have a kernel of a good idea, which is Craven's, and the movie itself is sort of uh, pretty imperfect. Um, mm-hmm. So he, Wes Craven is not happy about that. Then they don't accept his story idea for the fourth film, Dream Master. <laughs> then they hire someone else to write the screenplay for Dream Master and they don't like it. So then they ask Wes Craven to rewrite it. And at that this point, he says, massive shame. Fuck you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, this is and he doesn't rewrite so it. So insult upon insult here. Exactly. Ugh. All the while, as we talked about in the Nightmare on Elm Street episode, the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise makes New Line Cinema what it is. It was merely a distribution company before then. They had never produced a film, and then they became an actual, like, player in film production. Not on the scale of, like, say, Fox or MGM, but they were they gained recognition and were very profitable. Um, and none of that profit went to Wes Craven. Needless to say, this was a really bad relationship between the two players. So finally... After Freddy is like definitively killed in the sixth film, Freddy's dead, New Line Cinema um, CEO Bob Shea wants to make things right with Craven. So he goes to Craven, they talk, and they negotiate or decide um, that New Line needs to give Craven retroactive cuts of all of the films and some of the merchandise royalties. Okay. This somewhat improves their relationship. And so Craven then, sort of buttered up by all this, becomes amenable to coming back to make another Freddy film for the franchise's 10th anniversary. So what he decides to do is watch all of these movies that he hadn't bothered to watch before because they weren't his movies and they were <laughs> movies that were made out of scripts in which no one took his notes. Um, like, he watches yeah, the movies. I don't believe that story. He had to have been at least <laughs> curious. You know? I don't like, know. If you Someone come up with you write this amazing, I don't know if I could. Like, I think it might be too painful for me. No, I would. I would have to at least just to <laughs> even make fun of them. You know, I would have to know. I bet he watched them. Interesting. He had to. Have. <laughs> well, he says he watches them at least now, and he says he can't make sense of any of them. He says they're nonsensical. There's no through line connecting all the films. The logic changes drastically from film to film. Plus, he wants Leather uh, Leather Camp. He wants Heather Leggen Camp back. <laughs> and she was killed. <laughs> he wants Heather Leggen Camp back. And she was killed uh, in Dream Warriors, the end of the third film. So he gets mm-hmm. this idea to collapse sort of fiction and reality. Heather, in real life, really did have a stalker. She really had a young son, and she really was married to a special effects designer. Um, And so uh, with a budget of $14 million, um, they made the film, this sort of weird sort of meta blend of reality and fiction. Um, The film only made $18 million, so it it was one of the least successful, maybe even the least successful of the films. But critically, it was one of the best received films of the franchise since the first one. Mm-hmm. Okay. And now, Katie, Which makes sense you had to not... me. Yeah. And it's fitting. I feel Wait. like there's some sort of justice to this, right? Wherein Wes Craven makes the first one. It's critically really well received. All the other ones bomb critically. And then he makes this last one and critics love it. Um, and it right. sort of just shows that like, he's the one who really bulges. best okay. understands. <laughs> it just shows that he's the one who really best understands uh, Freddy. 
And what makes yeah. Freddy so sort of like compelling? Yeah, well, he's the creator. Yeah, he's Freddy's mommy. Of course he's going <laughs> to understand it the best. Of course. Um, so, Katie, so you, you were about to ask me a question. Right? Yeah. yeah, this was the first time. Um, I, you know, what did you I, I think? talked about watching the other ones before, but um, I loved it. I thought it was um, both like delightfully a throwback to a lot of the elements of the first film, obviously, but um, adding in these new elements, um, the Freddy, as you know, as the characters actually say, he's more evil. He's darker mm -hmm. in this film. And part of that is that he's a stand-in for a different, more effusive type of, not effusive, um, a more endemic type of evil, right? Like the, just simply yeah. the destruction of innocence. Um, so even though like you, evil, again... evil, qua evil. Yeah, like you see a Freddy figure, of course, but you know that that's only, and this movie makes very, very clear, that's only a representation of something that's much more, um, I don't know, much more pervasive and harder to withstand, I guess, right? Mm -hmm. So I loved it. I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, obviously, I have some thoughts, um, and most of them revolve around super evil, not super evil, but still evil little child and um, <laughs> some of the weird, I... weird throwbacks. So this kid, this let's talk about say, the kid. But I hate that child actor. I just remember there was he's... like a period of like a few years in which he was in everything. And he's I remember so him bad. especially <laughs> like, from I know you can't pick on from like Pet child Cemetery. actors. But... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember being haunted by like, and he was, I think, younger in Pet Cemetery. Mm -hmm. um, and he plays, you know, this kid that, I think his name is like Gage or like something like that, but like a kid who dies and then is brought back to life and is evil, right? Um, yeah. In that particular film. And that haunted me. And to see him again in, you know, this film, you're like, this cannot, this cannot end well, or this is not like <laughs> a kid that I can, you know, root for at all because he's, you know, he's evil, or he's not evil, but he's. Um, Freddy is attempting to take over him, right? He's attempting to speak through uh, yeah. this kid whose name in the film is Dylan. Um, and yeah, I yeah. agree. That kid, or that actor, child actor. Ugh, so the worst. We, <laughs> yeah, the worst. So we get this like opening scene, which is like this sort of really fun, delightful riff on the original opening scene. So in the original movie, we watch Freddy sort of craft this glove, this knife glove for himself. And then in this scene, we have uh, like FX people <laughs> creating a very high tech version of the same glove. Um, and mm -hmm. then the glove comes to life. <laughs> First we find out um, like Heather Leidenkamp then walks into scene and she's like talking to the people who are making the glove and she's announces a sort of disdain for it. And then this person who you, realizes like her partner or husband or something says this thing puts bread on our table and then yeah. he says that it's made with tendons from a live doberman mm -hmm. yeah and which and explains I, to me like is the doberman still alive or did they remove the <laughs> tendons when the doberman was alive like that was very confusing 
it's something fucked up. It's something that involves like inappropriate appropriation of animal parts, and that's not okay. <laughs> yeah, also, exactly. I loved that it was like, I mean, we're immediately meta, right? Where like you're you're seeing this this scene that's supposed to be um, spooky, but then it's. Um, you know, the voiceover, or not voiceovers, but the sounds you actually hear are what actually occurs on set where the guy's like, yeah, yeah, keep moving it. More blood, more blood. Get some yeah, styro. Right. And, like, they use, like, these really, like, stupid um, shortenings of words where it's like, I'm going to, like, get some some styro. I don't know why I'm, I'm like, fixated on, like, them <laughs> calling styrofoam styro. But I was just like, what is this? I mean, it's an immediate disconnect, and that's what Craven wants, right? Is this immediate sense that we're both in the real world looking in on a very mechanized, very like process oriented way of creating art. But then he flips the fucking tables again by then making all of this actually a dream, right? So it's like, right. like so many layers of representation. Um, supposed real world, but actually that's a dream um, that has, as we right. learn, and been scripted brings us, we should already. Say, yeah, yeah, go ahead. So sorry, go oh, ahead. Oh, yeah. Well, the whole, so, like, spoiler alert, which is what we do on this podcast anyways, but the entire movie, everything, the fades, everything has already been scripted by Craven who is going through the process of writing the script throughout the movie. But by the time we encounter a moment, it's already been written by Craven, right? So there's no, right. there's no uncertainty, at least on his part, about where, where the film is going. But I feel like before we get to that, though, like we have to sort of talk about even like how we move in this first scene. And so you talk about the first sort of jump in which we go from thinking that we're watching just a horror movie to actually watching people make a horror movie. But then the glove comes to life and murders everyone. And then we realize that we're in Heather Legenkamp's dream that she wakes right. up um, really disturbed by these dreams she's having. She also wakes up to an earthquake, which is really funny because there's that suggestion in the original film that the dreams were the result of like uh, this sort of like impending earthquake. I think Tina says that to yeah. Nancy. Um, yeah, yeah. And then she's getting um, like creepy phone calls from some sort of stalker or someone who sounds sort of Freddy-like and her TV keeps turning on and it's always playing scenes from Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, and then mm -hmm. the earthquakes keep getting worse and they're causing these cracks in the walls that look like slashes. But um, where should we go from there? <laughs> that's, I mean, so that's what's happening in the first few minutes of the film. And so I guess what I want to suggest already is that there are so many, uh, this is going to be a lame analogy, but like the earthquakes effects, there's so many like different fractured like planes of reality going on here. And that's mm -hmm. what makes this yeah. so interesting. And so that's why I wanted to bring up the script too, because I feel like that's an important part of, of like reflecting on your viewing experiences afterwards. Right. So like Heather learns, for example, that a bunch of people have been having nightmares. Um, and then she learns later on that Craven himself is having nightmares, but it's part of mm -hmm. what then produces the creative energy to actually recreate Freddy, I guess. And it's just, right. it's, 
it's bonkers. I, I mean, like, on the surface, like, this sounds obviously, like, so kind of convoluted, but I think the film really does work very well at suggesting this kind of, like, um, I mean, this kind of constant ambiguity. Um, and what we do is we travel, we not tra we don't travel, we focus on Heather and her experiences being like, wait, I'm, you know, I'm not Nancy, but I am supposed to act like Nancy. I'm having these, like, you know, a stalker and I'm having bad dreams and I feel like my child is in danger, well, but I'm not in a movie, right? With that though, too, that they're adding in that felt like almost shoehorned in where all of a sudden like Nancy is having these, or I'm sorry, Heather Legenkamp is having as, as the character is having these anxieties about the ways in which like her family history with like mental illness is maybe reaching her and that she's like losing yeah. her mind but that doesn't like have anything thematically to do with nightmare on elm street like i guess a couple of mm -hmm. times people like insinuate that nancy was going crazy but there wasn't like this weird storied history of mental illness or something like her mother was an alcoholic no. and so that was kind of odd how that came into play um, no i mean i guess like one reading you could offer is like maybe she too is blurring the lines between her filmic self and her real self and so she's like because mm -hmm. she says like someone really close to me had a mental mental health issue so maybe she's thinking of nancy and her mother oh yeah, i don't know maybe. like that's just a well, suggestion it's too like what you bring up though too is like the movie like invites so many different readings right because in one sense you could say, well, why is it that Nancy or Heather, I'm sorry, I keep doing that, is being haunted by Freddy because she's no longer a teenager. But in a lot of ways, given the fact that the main characters are all people from that original Nightmare on Elm Street, you can make the case that in some ways this is about actors who were never allowed to like age past that film, right? Who are still mm -hmm. like unable to escape that film's legacy 10 years later, where... Heather, yeah. the only offers she gets are to be on talk shows where mm -hmm. she has to sit next to Freddy Krueger or to be in a remake or a revival or something like that. And so that's really right. interesting, too. And there's also yeah. something to be said about, like, being uh, someone who started as, like, a young woman actor, actress, um, trying to really, like, maintain something in Hollywood. I thought it was so interesting that one scene where she takes a car to... I, to the talk show and as soon as they pull in a lot someone like throws open the door and like rips her out of the car and it's like come on come on come on and they like make her like run across set and there's mm -hmm. something just sort of just like violent in the everyday <laughs> life of being like an actor or actress um, yeah so, yeah there's all well, kinds being, of like, weird like balances the... the movie like a cruise yeah being subjected to like the sleazy limo driver who's like you're that girl i know you oh, yeah. yeah i love all of your stuff and like that has to be constant you know and it's just ugh, you can't escape it i feel like everything you're describing i'm sorry to digress but it's exactly what lynch is capitalizing on or has capitalized on in this latest twin peaks uh season right like it's very much, you know, the actress who plays Audrey Horn cannot get past being Audrey Horn, that sort of thing. Um, but here in this movie with like a very meta element to it that I think is is beautiful. And what happens throughout the course of the film is it's not just her being asked to kind of 
you know, revitalize um, or revivify Nancy, but other characters start adopting their former roles. So the dad, the actor who plays her dad, um, there's this really great scene where he comes over to make sure she's okay um, and to make sure that her son Dylan is okay because he's literally just ran across a freeway. (laughs) Um, And... Like, he enters her home, and right when he enters, he suddenly becomes her dad from the films. And he's like, Nancy. And she's like, wait, 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 why are you calling me Nancy? And it's it's very disconcerting. Like, did you have this feeling, yeah. Sam, of being like, whoa. Well, so what I think the one thing is that like the film sort of, like, increases that sort of meta-ness like incrementally as it goes on as the sun is getting increasingly possessed and as she's going and reintroducing herself to like more and more of the original actors so she goes to visit Wes Craven and then Freddie England and um uh, Robert England with, uh, what did I say <laughs> not, Robert England not Freddie <laughs> not Freddie yeah England. Uh, um who um, plays so Freddie um yeah exactly and so I think too like then in between that, her husband gets murdered in real life by Freddie, um, and he's starting um, to like resurface again in people's dreams. And so by the time we get to the point in which like she's being asked to go back into the movie world, like it feels right, like within the movie's logic. Yeah. Also, can we just talk about the dad's death for a hot second? Because <laughs> yeah, he literally. <laughs> so he's he says like. I'm, he's three hours away. He's three hours away. And then, so, and it's daytime <laughs> yeah. when she calls him. Yeah. And she's like, I need you to come home. And then, I swear to you, Sam, he looks like at the, the clock. The no, no, no. He looks at his clock on his dashboard as he's driving home, and it says 752. So he, like, it's literally not even 8 p.m. And he's like, oh, I'm so sleepy. Falling asleep at the wheel. And he falls asleep at the wheel. But there is no excuse for it. Like, there is no logic to that. And I got so mad. Unless you want to argue that Freddy is, like, inducing him to sleep somehow. Um, Which could be true. But, like, come on. Like, he's three hours away. What's more interesting even about, like, than the fact that he's killed is the fact that, like, Heather, after about five minutes, like, does not care that her husband's been murdered. (laughs) Like, it never comes up again. She never mentions him. She doesn't seem particularly perturbed by the fact that he's been killed. She's just, yeah, yeah, she's so just hardened to this life, I guess. Um, Also, did you see during the the funeral? Oh, Oh, did you see during the funeral scene, too? I love this so much where (laughs) there's like a sort of earthquake during the funeral and Nancy like falls or Heather falls forward. She like hits her head, whatever. And then the earthquake sort of kicks up and the priest is just like, rest in peace. May y'all get home safely as he's like quickly backing away. And he's like leaves (laughs) mid funeral. (laughs) It's like, I'm not getting paid enough for this. He's looking out for himself, yo. That's so true. But no, okay. I have to talk about, though, before that, the the morgue scene. So Nancy goes to the morgue to verify that it is her <laughs> oh, husband's yeah. body. And um, she, as she's there, she sees um, that, like, that he does have claw marks. And so she kind of knows that, like, Freddy has killed him. 
Um, mm-hmm. But it's the super awkward scene where, like, the the mortician, like, first pulls down the sheet above his head. And she's like, ah. He pulls it up. And then she's like, I want to see it again. And she pulls it down, vomits. And then the mortician is like, that's that's why we only pull the sheet down to the face. <laughs> um, it's, like, super deflating as an emotional moment i guess because it's mm-hmm. like it i think it um it furthers your point sam that she does not actually like give a fuck because that moment of her seeing his body where i don't know she's just like the, the mortician's well, just like I, yeah uh yeah because what what heather is interested in is not like really just facing the fact that her husband has died she's more just like seeing his body she's inspecting his body only as evidence of freddie's return right and it's so interesting to me too because wes craven in that earlier scene says the franchise itself is a love story between freddie and nancy and in one sense like she doesn't seem to have a lot of love for her her husband (laughs) you know she doesn't seem like at all like emotionally bothered by the fact that he's been killed and so maybe well he did he was douchey because he was working on that glove without telling her and mm. she, he knows that she's been st- like a victim of stalking with somebody doing a freddy voice and then right. to be complicit in forcing her kind of to do another freddy movie you know yeah like well speaking of complicity and consent like there is a really weird element like the points you made i think are right on but it's also weird on a meta level that the movie is about nancy being asked to come back to the franchise though she's already in the film before she's decided because we're watching that film. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah. that's really weird. Cause then like, well, the whole decision-making process on her part is artifice. Um, and and then, I mean, really and it's beautiful. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. And at the very, very end of the film, um, they like, she finds the script, you know, in her, mm-hmm. her son's room and Craven has written on the the front of it, "Thank you for agreeing to be play Nancy one last time." But at no moment was she agreeing to it. You know, right. like everything well, about she what she's knows... doing is yeah, it's resisting she that narrative. She says like she's going to go back into the movie world and like call what's his name, her dad. You know, and pretend he's a police officer and pretend she's still lives in that house in order to go like rescue her son but but yeah you're right like that's not that's not agreement that's like coercion yeah (laughs) she's doing it to get her Um, son so okay let's just like fast forward a little bit basically the son becomes possessed um yeah and he they end up at this hospital yeah and they give him um, something to sedate him, but the son is a sleepwalker. And anyways, um, but he doesn't it's take clear... the pill though. He like spits it out. Yeah, but then they they shoot him with the needle later. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yep. And also, the, I'm sorry. The... What was that doctor's problem? She was insane. She Where was she a had, like, She ha- she was out to get Heather like in camp because she was like, he's scared. Did you show him your movies? And she's like, yeah. no, I don't show. She's like, you did, didn't you? And she's like, 
it's like scenes and scenes of this woman being like, you are not welcome to see your son because you probably showed him one of your movies. And I kept thinking like, yeah. um, as a doctor, I don't think this is within your jurisdiction to like block a parent exactly. from seeing their child because you don't agree with all of their decisions. Yeah, exactly. So and so weird. there's there's this horrible scene where Dylan is in the room uh, just with his babysitter and it's a it's a it's a callback to the first movie where Tina is dragged up onto mm-hmm. the ceiling and yeah. gutted. Um same thing happens to Julie the babysitter. Dylan escapes <laughs> the hospital, goes across the highway. Um, Heather meets him there. She find or you know, she's following her son. She's trying to save him. And this is what I want to talk about though. So the final battle, she has to follow her son into the dream world and he leaves her sleeping pills. Is, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm sorry, Sam, if I'm going too far. It's riffing off of the the Hansel and Gretel um, you know, breadcrumbs type of narrative. But I just wrote my notes. I was like, that fucking kid left her like 30 sleeping pills. I know. And she it takes was insane. All She's of taking them. all of them. <laughs> yes. So like part of me was very alarmed that like she's like really, really invested in following her son um, to the dream world. And I'm like, this is not healthy. <laughs> You're like, not he's not that idea. great. <laughs> yeah just leave him just leave him um (laughs) yeah but i real though so that was a very quick and dirty kind of summary of a lot but what did you want to talk to sam before well final dream well a couple things but you brought up the the rotating the room where um the babysitter is dragged up by friday onto the ceiling and killed and it's interesting because uh, you mentioned that it's you know uh, this clear callback to the f- original murder in the first Nightmare on Elm Street where Tina's killed on the ceiling, but it's it's filmed through a rotating room, right? So that's the only way in which it can look as though the, these two actors are hanging from the ceiling is that the room's rotating as Freddie's dragging her up, so that they're always standing on the right. floor. It's just a different wall. It's the floor, whatever. But that technology goes back to uh, a really famous Fred Astaire movie where he is dancing in preparation for getting married and he ends up like dancing up the walls and onto the ceiling and it is so interesting to me to think about the fact that like the this horror film trick and these two great scenes one of the scenes is really iconic they have it their roots in this really joyous (laughs) like golden age hollywood (laughs) musical moment but it actually doesn't that makes a lot of sense to me that there is a sort of weird I don't know if joy is the right word, but that we're reaching a point, especially when we think about Last House on the Left, which was just so heavy and dark. It really helped me. It helped solidify for me that we've reached a point in at least Wes Craven's sort of development of the slasher film in which the real stakes, right, where this is supposed to be like heavy social commentary are long gone. And that this is a sort of like we're supposed to take some sort of genuine joy, I think, in <laughs> in Freddy and in even like the the murders that we watch that they are there because like the stakes are gone. And that in a lot of ways, this is as um, as 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 just like fluffy and as much a trifle as a Fred Astaire movie that we can just sort of um, enjoy the moment and be caught up in it. Or yeah. Something. Yeah, no, I totally buy that, right? And I, the movie makes that point explicit. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, when Heather has her yeah. interview 
and um, Robert England comes out as Freddy, and he's like literally just like dancing in this like very oh, yeah, like slapstick right. kind of way and the audience which is like honestly it's like 10 people in there but they're like we I know. love freddy <laughs> um no, it's like so, this is a tiny studio audience <laughs> yeah it's not it's not that great come on um but yeah no i absolutely agree with you there's something so ludic about it um so ridiculous um that it deflates those moments but makes it more about to me, entertainment, right? Or about um, can yeah. we identify those moments as like a haha, like this is a, a callback to X, Y, or Z, or this is you know, it's it's emotionally empty, but like what does what kind of critical traction does it get, or does it get any? Yeah. Well, yeah, I think the entertainment thing is really interesting too because. The film is, is repeatedly asking where the line is between like joy or enjoyment and danger, right? So Heather is someone who has brought, obviously Heather and Freddie are people who have brought joy to a lot of film goers' lives. There are a lot of people who love those movies, but it's also inspiring possibly someone to be really dangerous, right? So there's a stalker, mm -hmm. uh, both in the movie yeah. and in real life. Heather Leidenkamp has a stalker. Um, and I think about like how that scene that you brought up um, is sort of mirrored in the beginning of Scream 2 in which everyone going crazy at the opening of that like Scream, meta Scream, <laughs> like sequel end up yeah. providing like that scene of like mass enjoyment where everyone has fake knives and is pretending to stab each other actually then becomes this cover for someone to like literally stab someone and then just leave <laughs> right. and no one notices, yeah. right? And there's, there's something so upsetting about that. Um, but, yeah, I agree. Agreed. Agreed. Okay, so um, final my battle question, sheet. Oh, okay, this is going to bring us in. I'm so sorry. I'm not putting it off intentionally. Oh, no, it's okay. <laughs> um, I We talked a lot about, in Nightmare on Elm Street, how, stylistic, how stylistically it's just sort of beautiful and striking it was and intentionally made it was. And I was sort mm -hmm. of shocked when I watched this. This was filmed in such a pedestrian way to me that it felt almost like a made-for-TV movie. Did you get? Oh yeah, yeah. It's really ugly. It's yeah. not. Um, so yeah, no, I agree. Especially like the funeral scene where like the lighting is just like very unadorned and you know just like it's nothing theatrical about it, right? It's just a uh, very yeah. I don't know. I I agree though. I felt like this movie's aesthetics at least. Until we get to the final battle scene, I think yeah. that, that and I will think differ. the whole budget was just blown on like that scene. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> agreed. Um, so but yeah, no, I thought it was pretty, you know, it's not like it's not amazing, but then again, like some parts of that I just chalk up to being from 1994, right? Like, that's true, that is... it was a very uninspired time, <laughs> yeah, like that is a lame ass time in history. <laughs> Yeah. Um, it really like yeah. the, the best like equivalent I could find is that it looks like it's it's filmed just like an episode of the X-Files, which I know we do mm. not share as like a common touchstone. But like, that's what it looks like. There's something so pedestrian about it that it just everything feels so generic um, and the camera mm -hmm. is always just feels like this sort of like it's not aligned with anyone, but it's also not this really. um piercing sort of third person perspective it's just like this very bland sort of um visage that it's always giving the audience 
Anyway, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm like, no, we can't say it. I'm scared to say it. Let's do it. No, please I'm lead scared us, to say lead it. Us there. Okay. All right. So we've got the final <laughs> epic <sorry>. battle. <laughs> I was like, I'm just going to let him lead us in. I'm not going to, no, I'm not going to no. even do it. Okay. So Dylan has um, encouraged his mother to take a very unhealthy amount of sleeping <laughs> yeah, pills to roofie so that herself. She, to roofie herself so that she can get into the dream world with him um which is you know a stage that freddie has set um and it is very i don't know medieval is is that how you would describe yeah, would it you it's even very call like that it's a great question like it's it's very like dirty roman monastic e <laughs> it's somewhere between sense. like a dungeon and a temple like it's it's sort of yeah. confusing and maybe this is craven again being like haha like poking fun at hollywood being like i'm taking all of the stereotypes of like a evil dungeon area right and putting it all into this one um one particular setting um because they're like snakes but also rooms of fire and waterfalls and crumbling ruins in this final scene it is so odd um <laughs> but basically i mean it can be summed up pretty easily right heather gets there she finds her son but then there are different moments of where freddie attacks one or the other and like, if he's attacking Dylan, Heather comes in and stabs Freddy, distracts him from attacking Dylan. Freddy attacks Heather. Mm -hmm. Dylan stabs him. Like, it's it's that, right? Um, yeah, there's sort of Hansel and Gretel characters, like, trying to protect one yeah. another. Yeah, exactly. And so then it's so appropriate that the final comeuppance is Freddy is shoved into a boiler and um, burnt alive again, right? So, again, repeating... Mm -hmm. His initial um, death from the first movie. Um, and that's, yeah. Heather and Dylan jump into a fountain and wake up. And they're fine. And this Did is I the point anything? you mentioned earlier. <laughs> no, where they find then the script and start reading it. Exactly. And it's so and weird because it's like, is it a story? You read, is it a story? And then Dylan says... And there's kind of a painful oh, yeah. pause before it. So you're like, uh, is he going to say it? And then he says, is it a story? Um, but one thing I wanted to ask you about, Sam, was the fact that um, instead of her reading the, the last page of the story, she goes back to the beginning. Yeah. And I thought that was interesting because, um, I mean, A, in the logic of storytelling, you have to start at the beginning fair. But... Is that then a, a talismanic way of preventing Freddy from coming back? I think that's exactly it. Revive the story. Oh, okay, so that's, I, I mean, but it's an interesting choice, right? To then be like, okay, um, <laughs> given that we've been through this horrific experience, little boy, my child, mm -hmm. let's relive it in order to prevent it. Yeah, well, it's interesting because when Heather goes to see Wes Craven in the film, he says that, you know, when we made those Nightmare on Elm Street movies, 
we allowed evil into the world, but in this contained way. So Freddy was this embodiment of just pure evil, but he could only exist within the confines of the movie. And so long as we kept making movies, he would be contained in them. But when the franchise ended, he becomes unmoored and is allowed to just sort of roam freely, right? Anywhere. And this is how mm -hmm. Freddy's breaking into the real... That's the sort of like excuse or explanation for how it is that Freddy can haunt them in real life. And so it's interesting right. that... The movie ends with them reading, presumably just over and over, this script. Because in, <laughs> if this movie like is predicated on the fact that, you know, the long-running franchise's collection of movies can't keep going forever and containing Freddy, then like this movie's positioned as like the super movie who's like there's a myriad meta levels will just like keep Freddy sort of lost in there cyclically forever. Exactly. It's, yeah. It's bizarre. It's maddening. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are those um, um, called? It, those like circular pictures where the picture just starts over like fluidly. Oh, I don't know the word. Do you know what this. I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's. Oh, I wish we knew. You know, in logic, it's a tautology. So mm -hmm. there's that. Yeah. I don't know. It's uh, that snake that eats itself. Ouroboros? Or Ouroboros, yeah. <laughs> it's the circle. It's a circle. Mm -hmm. At its most basic Neoplatonic level, it's a circle. <laughs> it's a penis bulge. It's um, a penis bulge. Yes, ultimately. that's. At the end of the I day, mean, it's just another guy who forgot to wear his shorts to the gym. <laughs> It's interesting because, like, we record these entire episodes staring at a penis-like object. What? Um, oh, the microphone? Our, our microphones, <laughs> yes. I actually forget yeah, it's in like, front of me. I don't look at it. Oh, I do. Oh, I'm, I do. It's, yeah. I Sam, I'm a woman. I am aware <laughs> of the the often the or the, the phallocentrism of everyday life. Exactly. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Um. Okay, so that is Wes Craven's New Nightmare. But next week, we're going to be talking about um, the Scream franchise. Uh, and I'm super excited so because... much love for the Scream movies. So much. And this is, like, so formative, right? Mm -hmm. Like, this is yes. really going to open up so many windows onto who we are as people, right? Like, your reactions to the film are going to tell me so much about you, Sam. And, and vice I versa. Wait. Yeah. Oh my God! Yeah. Can I ask you one scene or one scene, one question, really quickly before we put this movie to bed forever? <laughs> oh yeah, sure. So, if this movie ostensibly is telling us that everything we're watching is like a reflection of Heather Langenkamp's real life, do you think she, mm -hmm. as a Hollywood actress, really drives that station wagon? <laughs> I no, could not get past she's that. Got I also, no, she's got a way snazzier, yeah, thank you. snazzier get I up. also could she's not like get trying... past that car phone, which was, no. I was like, that's where technology was at in the mid-90s? Like, just for some <laughs> reason, I remembered it being, like, more advanced than that. No, it wasn't. No, dude, the, the, that was the, that was it. But, yeah, she, she has a snazzier, a snazzier car. Mm -hmm. I think so. Most deaf. Cool. Cool. So, yeah. Katie, I know we talked about favorite things, but we didn't talk about obsessions. And so I'm curious what you're yeah. obsessed with this week. Okay, I'm obsessed. I rewatched this movie recently because it's now free on Amazon. Oh. And it is just so good. And it's The Big Sick. Oh, I haven't um, watched have it yet. Have you heard of this film? I, keep, I meant yeah. to see it and I missed it in theaters. It's on Amazon now? 
It's on Amazon for oh, free. Fantastic. And it is beautiful. I just have to say the way that it handles delicate issues about religious identity, about, um, you know, a, a couple with different religious backgrounds, for example. Uh, it's it's just amazing. It will it will make you tear up, I guarantee you, but like not in a horrible way. In a like, yes, this is like the power of human kindness wow. way. Yeah, it's so good. It's I I don't know. I can't recommend it highly enough because it really is amazing. Oh, so all right, I'll check I rewatched that this weekend. I can't wait. Yeah. I'm so glad to know it's free. So Sam, what are you obsessed with? Um, my obsession is coming like one or two years late. But speaking of free, I I'm watching this show now because it's available for free on Hulu, and that's uh, Baskets. Oh, and I love Baskets. It's yes. Amazing. Like it's really funny, but it has so much like heart and and like even mm-hmm. like hurt to it in a way that is um, it's much more like moving than you expect, and I cannot believe how frequently moved I am by Louis Anderson's performance as Zach Galifianakis's mom. It's I think he was nominated or actually won a supporting actor or maybe even actress role. Oh, that's a great question. It's it's, it's stunning. It really is just incredible work. And I Mm -hmm. am just so fascinated with the three principal characters and and I can't wait to keep watching. I'm about halfway through the first season. Oh, you're in for a treat. It's so good. It's one of my favorite shows. It really is great. And they're doing a new season soon, so that should oh, be good. Oh, are they? Awesome. Yeah, yeah it's still running. Oh, good. It's still going. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, um, if we are in a constant loop in which, you know, everything is meta, 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 Craven style, then I hope that Billy Zane is thriving in this meta world where he's... <laughs> You know, he's he's on the Titanic again. I was gonna say, but I hope there's like a meta movie version of the Titanic franchise where he's meeting with James Cameron, who's asking him to come back for a sequel, <laughs> and he has a stalker, and a boat just keeps like haunting his dreams. Yes, that's all I want. That's that sounds perfect to me. I'm proud so for Billy him. Zane. I'm sure he'd love that exposure. Yeah, yeah. Good for you, Billy. Billy boy. And so that's it. We will see you next time with some scream. Scream talk. All right. Talk to you then. Our favorite things. Bye. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. I'm stopping. (laughs)